morning, snowed morning. It's already come. And uh, drove onto the parking lot. Brother Brian, you did an excellent job. <laughs> Thank the Lord. And uh, I'm glad to, to see all of you brave souls here this morning. Praise God. God's so good to us. Amen. Amen. Uh, some were uh, wondering last week when we were not here. Let me, uh, I, I know that the week before that I was sick and, and could not be here for everybody's sake. And that's, that's all right. We, we are in a, a time and a season when if you're sick, it, there's no shame in staying home. Uh, uh, some of this stuff, we hear people saying, and, and my own daughter says it, follow the science. But we really haven't had time with this stuff to have developed a, a well-rounded science. And uh, so uh, we're, we're kind of winging it, and let's wing it safely as we can. Uh, I know that there are some folks that will stay home for three drops of rain. <laughs> and others that will move fallen trees out of the way to get to church. So, but that one Sunday I was sick, and then last Sunday we were in Edgewater Park, New Jersey. Now, what Stephen calls my side gig uh, sometimes requires that I be gone from here on a Sunday particularly. That's when you would notice it, when I'm gone on a Sunday, and that does does not necessarily always mean that I'm sick for, for my age. And, and I mentioned someone a saying that we have had for years, I'm awfully well for the shape I'm in. Uh, so uh, it will probably be announced if I am sick. But otherwise, I will be visiting one of the other churches. There are situations and times when I, I need to be gone. So. Uh, don't throw rotten tomatoes at me when I get back. Uh, we'll, just, we'll just handle it. Praise God. And that doesn't always mean that something is wrong somewhere. There are good reasons to go visit places as well. And it, it's just part of the duty as district superintendent to be involved with not just this church, but all the churches. And when we mutually decide or even one-sidedly decide that I'm no longer to be in this job, uh, you may count on me to, to, to be here. Praise God. I want to uh, preach for a little while this morning. Uh, I've taken my title from a hippie song, my, uh, my regards to Bob Dylan for his help with the, this morning's sermon. Uh, I will be quoting some of his lyrics but let's go to Luke chapter 24, and uh, the 13th verse is where we will begin. The same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, 
seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. Now, let me locate this. This is the Sunday of the resurrection. So they're walking home. They're discussing everything that's happened. And then verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. One of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here in the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. Uh, the things that uh, happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did, past tense, powerful miracles. And he was, again, past tense, a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all of the people who cried, crucify him, crucify him. <laughs> but our leading priests and the other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him again, past tense. We had hoped, past perfect tense, he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Some women from our group of his followers were at the tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. <laughs> and we didn't believe them. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. <laughs> I like that present tense. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Now, they acknowledged that. They didn't acknowledge the second part of it, that he's alive, just he's gone. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all of these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And who would know it better than he? <laughs> he not only predicted it, he lived it. He anointed the fellows that wrote it. He told them what to say. My, my, my. And here they were walking along, bemoaning. 
And they were sad. Notice these things. Their, their, their whole demeanor, their condition, their feelings, their emotions were all wrapped up in yesterday. What had been, what we hoped, what was. They wanted things to be like they used to be. Then in John chapter 11, beginning with verse 47, then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. Okay, if he performs miraculous signs, get in on it. That's what you should do. If we allow, like they were in charge, just because they were leaders, just because they were religious people, did not mean they were in control of anything. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Well, hallelujah. <laughs> From this vantage point, that looks pretty good. If you, if you don't do anything, it'll work. So let's get in here and mess it up. If we allow him to go on like this soon, everyone will believe in him. Then, oh, we've got an if-then statement. I didn't realize we were in a, in a math class, but I guess they were. If, then, the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Huh. So if everybody believes in him, there's going to be all these people that are opposed because they're believing in him as well as everybody else. And, you know, we're, we're loose with our terms, everybody, nobody, all. You know. <clears throat> and Caiaphas, the, who was the high priest at that time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, now that's a pretty good statement for most of the time. We don't know what we're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. Now, they had already worked this out. We'll say, and then they'll say, and then somebody. I remember a conversation I had with my brother one time. He's, he, he's of this mindset that he, he gets everything planned out, runs all the hypotheticals, and he was they had a situation coming up in the oil field and it hadn't happened yet, but he was already dealing with it. And, uh, my boss is going to say, and then I'm going to tell him, then he's going to say back to me. And then I, you know, it almost wound up him getting fired and nobody had said anything yet, but he was all set for a worst case scenario. Uh, a lot of times we do that. We either go best case or worst case and neither one of them is anywhere near what happens. Better that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. He did not say this on his own. He thought he did. But as high priest at that time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. And not only for that nation, but to bring together 
and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. The leaders wanted what is. They wanted the status quo. We want what's now. We don't want anybody rocking the boat. We want him out of the way because he's changing things, and we want what is. It's good for us. The disciples on the road to Emmaus were wanting what was. Jesus was a miracle worker. He did great things. He, it was yesterday. It was last week. It was last month since he's been walking. It was only three years. But they had gotten so used to what was in that three years that they wanted that back. They want what is, what was. But as Bob Dylan said, the times, title slide, the times, they are a-changing. Got my title slide there? That's, uh, this is tech. I'd have it all messed up. So don't, I, I'm not being criticized. Just, just giving them time to catch up with this speedy fella here. <laughs> <clears throat> Everything from horseback, that was, to uh, jetliners. Booked a ticket this weekend for a trip to St. Louis. I'm glad I don't have to make that trip on horseback. Model T's to space shuttles. Conestoga wagons. <laughs> oh, yeah. You get a nice car. The uh, <clears throat> Conestogas had heaters in the summer and air conditioners in the winter. Just wonderful. Technologically, we don't stand still. But in a lot of our lives, we get rooted quickly. Either in what is or of what was. But the times, they are a-changing. Now, that, that song was recorded in October of 1963, one month before John Kennedy was assassinated. In that time, there was a lot of turmoil. We thought it was a lot of turmoil at that time. We didn't know then what turmoil was coming. But a lot of this, had, had, it was already in progress. It was already starting. It was, things were, were rolling. And uh, uh, 
Bob Dylan wrote this song, and I'm not going to go through all five verses of it, but there's one, one part of it, one verse of it that, that kind of caught my attention. Come mothers and fathers throughout the land. I'm not trying to sing it. <clears throat> I'm not even trying to poetry read it. Just come mothers and fathers throughout the land. Don't criticize what you can't understand. <clears throat> uh, understanding can go both ways, you know. Uh, your sons and your daughters are beyond your command. Your old road is rapidly aging. Please get out of the new one if you can't lend a hand. For the times, they are a-changing. Of course, the message in that is uh, these hippies and their... Uh, they're tired of the hypocrisy of their elders, and, and they want to uh, tear everything down. They don't have anything yet to replace it with, but let's just go ahead and tear it down and see what happens. And, and uh, so they were all excited and riots in the streets, uh, or at least the start of them. And, and uh, I, I, can, I, I, can, I live through these days. I can understand some of their frustration. I was... Uh, I was alive, and I was—I uh, received my draft notice for the Vietnam War. I was in such poor physical condition, they wouldn't even take me. And when they won't take you for Vietnam, that's bad. <laughs> they gave me a 1Y classification. That's not 4F. This is 1Y. It said, in case of national emergency only. I read that, women and children first. <laughs> One of the things was that I was, at that point, 10 pounds under their minimum weight. Under the armies. Now, I'm not talking about Marines. I'm talking about Army. 10 pounds under what they would accept. Now, I've gotten that fixed since. <laughs> that part got fixed. <clears throat> but there was, there was frustration of, of going to fight what, they, what many of them called the rich man's war. And, and some were going across the border into Canada and doing all sorts of things. And, and please... I'm, I'm neither yay nor nay. That's a long time ago, and we can't do anything about it now, and people made their decisions, and some of the decisions have been regretted, and others have not changed a bit since then. But Bob Dylan was talking about, if you don't understand your hippie sons and daughters, uh, don't, don't stand in their way. Get out of the way. You don't understand what's going on. And uh, they're, they're beyond your command. <clears throat> now, let's fast forward about 20, 25 years, somewhere in that neighborhood, 30 maybe. And those who were the hippies that were now beyond your command, they've got a bunch of kids. <clears throat> I remember seeing a cartoon one time of a couple of, of uh, hippie uh, hippie, I guess, husband and wife, or whatever they decided to do, and, and uh, they had a, a, a child with them, and the, the parents were looking at each other, and I, I couldn't tell from the cartoon which one was doing the talking, but uh, one of them was saying to the other one, 
as they were in their hippie garb, the bell bottoms, the beads, the, the, the hair as it was, and, and here is their son walking next to them in a suit and tie and white shirt. And one of them turns to the other and says, don't worry about it, it's probably just a phase. These are the ones that became the yuppies, and they became beyond their command. Because no matter what happens, no matter which direction society goes, the times, they are a-changing. Many years ago, my wife and I received news that my uncle, one of my uncles, my dad's older brother, Dumas, was in the hospital in Oklahoma City. He lived out in western Oklahoma, a little place called Delhi, same, spelled the same way as Delhi in India, but in Oklahoma, it's Delhi. <laughs> he was in the hospital, and so uh, we drove about, what, two and a half hours or so uh, to get down to Oklahoma City, went in, visited with him. I believe at that point he had had a, a heart attack or, or some such. And uh, as we were talking, we got to, he got to reminiscing about the times gone by. He was one of 12 children. He was number three. My dad was number five of the 12. And it used to be that uh, probably once, maybe twice a year, the Moss family would get together at their parents. And I remember if one of the kids couldn't make it, Grandma was always down about that 8% was missing. But uh, Dumas got to talking about the, the times we'd all get together and we were cousins running everywhere. I've got about close to 40, there are 40 cousins or thereabouts on that side of the family. And uh, we were out, as one of my aunts said, all the cousins were out running around outside getting in trouble except for you, Roy Lee, and you were in the house with your nose stuck in a book. And uh, he got to talking about the, the late-night poker games. And there was time I was a, a fair poker player, but the Lord delivered me, thank God. <laughs> and uh, when the smoke was nearly so thick that you could take a knife and cut a chunk of it out, carry it home with you. And he was talking about those were good times. Thinking back to those couple of decades before, those were the, the good old days. You ever heard that phrase, the good old days? It's what used to be called these trying times. Because while he was remembering getting together with his brothers and sisters and being with their parents who uh, had by this time passed away. 
And I was remembering some of those conversations around the kitchen table where the poker game was going on into the night and times with the, uh, this and having difficulties and that marriage was uh, a little rocky and, and hearing all of the, the talk about it and, and the bold weevils that were about to take over the cotton crop and all of those things. And I, I, I remembered those conversations, but while I was remembering those things that were problematic to them at that time, he was remembering not the bold weevils, not the t trouble getting credit from the bank, not the fact that there wasn't enough rain. He was remembering sitting around the table with his brothers and sisters and the good food and the fellowship and the good old days. But you see, the times, they are always a-changing. Ecclesiastes 7 and 10 tells us, don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. To get stuck in yesterday is dangerous. Oh yes, I I, I can remember a, a lot of a lot of times in my life that there were things that were better. It was a lot easier to climb stairs. It was <clears throat> Less problematic when, when things didn't work well because there weren't as many things that weren't working well. I got a, I would have said it's a hitch in my get along, but it, it was much more than just a hitch. I, I, the doctor said I was having spasms and uh, I was having trouble with my back. And, it was, it was terrific, and not a good terrific. It was a bad terrific. And, and uh, I was sitting on the couch, and I, I started to get up, and, and there was no way I was getting up. And I thought, well, if I can just get here down to my knees where I can get one hand on the couch and another hand on the coffee table, and I can, I can use my arms to push myself up. And, and I, and I got down, and I was at that point in worse shape than I had been before. And so I had to call Caleb, Marcus. <laughs> and they came into the living room, and they, can you help your grandpa up? <laughs> there was a time when I was on the other end of that helping up. But I know some things now that I didn't know then, and I don't know that the trade would be good to go back to being that ignorant and that flexible. I told my, the chiropractor, I said, there was a day when I could put my foot behind my neck, behind my head. I said, but those days are long gone. 
I'm sorry if that bothers you. I know it's not a picture you wanted to have this morning. But the high priest wanted what is, and he could see that something else was coming, and it scared him. On the road to Emmaus, the disciples wanted what was. The future frightened them, and they were saddened. But we are comfortable with the known. No matter how bad it is, we can get used to nearly anything. But the times, they are a-changing. And the work of God and the plan of God and the ways of God to reach this world are always in flux because the times, they are a-changing. The Jerusalem church was just as happy as they could be to be all in fellowship one with another. Now, they had a little problem with getting all the widows fed, but they got that worked out, and, and they were just enjoying being together, and they liked it, and it was good for them, and they, they, were, they were comfortable. But the revival was waiting in Samaria. They had what was good for them, what pleased them, but the revival was waiting in Samaria. And then there was the Samaria revival. Oh, how wonderful this is. We've baptized nearly the whole town. Even the pharmacist, oh, pardon me, uh, the sorcerer. I was going by the original Greek there, pharmacius. He was a drug pusher. Witchcraft. Oh, you hadn't thought about witchcraft is drug pushing? <clears throat> and drug pushing is some kind of witchcraft. You'll see things. You'll go to worlds you've never dreamed of. Yeah, I've helped some people down from those things. Oh, the Samaria revival. Folks getting the Holy Ghost right and left. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. But the messenger to the nation of Ethiopia was traveling through the desert, through Gaza. The times, the needs, the methods, they are changing. The message stays the same. Simon Peter was comfortable on the housetop, a little hungry, but he was still comfortable. He was among friends. It was all right. They were, they were, he was looking forward to a good meal, but the outreach to Rome was waiting in uniform down the road with his whole house. Oh, the church is growing. It's just, it's getting bigger. Everything's fine. It's wonderful. Here we go. There, uh, there is is a way we've found comfortable. We've got our little we've got our little rut. 
Brother Tenney used to say that the difference between a rut and a grave is that the rut's got the ends kicked out of it. Going well, the message is spreading, here we go. But how about when Nero sets the city on fire and blames you for it? You know, the catacombs of Rome are not the mighty sweeping cathedrals of another age. But the church went on. It had to hide it couldn't do like it had been doing. It couldn't, it couldn't meet openly. They had to go find some place underground. You talk about an underground church, this was literal. Because the times had changed, because the situation had changed, because things aren't like they used to be. In fact, another one of those things I heard Brother, Brother Tinney talking about was he, he said there were some archaeologists that went to Babylon. And in their excavation of Babylon, they found a lot of these shards of, uh, of uh, pottery that had been used for keeping records. And they had, you know, somebody had bought so many uh, uh, firkins of grain or so, many, uh, so much wine or some such. And, and among those tablets, they found one, and when they translated it, it said, Alas, alas, things are not what they used to be. Well, they never have been, and they never will be. And as they, the church went from here to there to yonder, they ran into strange customs and different foods. They were eating things they'd, they'd been taught all their lives. You don't eat that. But if you look real closely, I'm not going to tell you where, but if you look real closely in the teachings of Jesus, he did away with the dietary laws before the sheet came down to Simon Peter. That's your assignment for the week. Find out where that was. The church has thrived. In empire. The church has gone on with serfdom and lords and ladies. It's maintained its existence with dictators and kings, republics, democracies, socialism. There are churches. In communist countries, the church has even, even prospered and advanced in the anarchy of war. There was a man in Oklahoma attended a church, one of our churches, about uh, 35 miles from where I, one of our nearest churches, about 35 miles from where I pastored. If the doors opened, he was there. I mean, it was almost bad that if you went in, 
to, to just check on something, to check if they turned off all the lights. And when you came out, he, it was almost that he was standing there, the doors are open, can I come in? I mean, he was faithful, faithful, faithful. He, if, if something, if it was a youth meeting, he was there. It, it, I don't know, if, yeah, I guess he brought his wife to the ladies' meetings. He, just, he was just there, fellowship meeting, you knew he was going to be there. Uh, whatever was going on. And one day I had the opportunity. He was in somebody else's church, so I was careful about uh, discussing things with him, spending a lot of time with him. But there, there came a time and a situation where I had an opportunity to, to talk with, with Brother Allen. And uh, he got to telling me how he got into the church. And he said he was in World War II. Must have been in Europe. And he was in a foxhole. Bombs going off around him. Bullets flying overhead. He didn't know anything about church. But he soon, he soon decided that he was going to find out something about church. And in the foxhole... He made the promise to God, God, if you'll get me out of this alive. Now, there are a lot of those promises made, but he kept it. And when he got back home, he started looking in his Bible and going from church to church trying to find what lined up with that book. And whenever the doors were open, Brother Allen was there. Any of you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? Interesting reading. It's not something you want to read just before you go to bed. This one is a, an addition that adds to the original. This one is by the Voice of the Martyrs. Voice of the Martyrs, uh, what's his name, Warren Brand, who spent many years in prison in a communist country. Um, their headquarters was in Bartlesville. And you can open this to any, any page and there's tragedy on it. But you know what? The church went on. In the anarchy of war and in the persecution of focused problems for individuals. The church, you know it works in urban settings and down on the farm. fellow said that he was riding on a, a city bus one day and he happened to look up, you know, in, in the city where he was, they have advertisements inside the bus and, and some of them, you know, have outside and you've, you've seen that around here. And he looked up and, and one of the advertisements said, illiterate, question mark, 
right for help. <laughs> well, now, the thing is, I, I am illiterate. I, I don't know if you knew that or not. I'm illiterate in multiple languages. I cannot read nor write Sanskrit, Hindi, uh, you know, I just... Uh, the, the letters, the characters mean nothing to me. See, here's the thing. We're all ignorant, just on different subjects. We're all illiterate, just in different languages. Or we could be highly educated. I mean, one of the fellas that fills this pulpit's got a Ph.D., No, I won't tell you what somebody said that was. Yeah, I will. <laughs> if I say it, I get in trouble. I say it. There was a fellow who obviously did not have one, who was more than a little jealous. And he said, Ph.D. stood for phenomenal dud. <laughs> no, no, no. He didn't meet ours. <laughs> but there are doctors of all different sorts of doctors, Ph.D., M.D., D.D., that have been baptized in Jesus' name and speak in tongues. That's the church. And there are also those who need to write for help. I remember, and I'm not going to use a name on this one. We had a missionary who was visiting in a district that I was also in at one time. And he was talking to, to several of the ministers, you know, just stories. Just, And he'd probably be real upset with me if he knew I was fixing to tell this. But I'm not going to tell who he was, so that'll ease it a little bit. But he was talking about he had been someplace, uh, deputation-type travel, and, and he had been talking about the people that he was ministering to. And, and, and one of the the men of the church was standing there and he, he described him and it was, it was quite a rural situation. And if this fellow asked the missionary, he said, uh, them, them people you've been talking about, do they speak English? And the... Uh, the missionary said, no, sir, they don't. The guy spit, ignorant, ain't they? <laughs> yeah, there was some ignorance there, but. Uh, and if whoever that was is watching today, God bless you anyhow. <laughs> the church goes on when we're free to do what we want to do. 
But I want you to also realize that the restrictions of man and of circumstances do not stop nor hinder the power of God. In modern America, finally going to get where I'm going. In modern America, we've become comfortable with the familiarity of church being gathering together and listening to preaching. Sing a few songs, greet our brothers and sisters, might get involved in some kind of project, got our little part to play in the, in the local group. Familiar. We get comfortable with the familiar. And don't you forget that you don't like anybody messing with your being comfortable. But it's not the purpose of an army to spend its entire enlistment in basic training. When a youngster, and from my position, that's a broad category. But when a real youngster goes to one of the military academies, their time at the academy does not even count as time served. It's after graduation that the clock begins to run. Four years in school, six years of obligation, ten years garners you six years of credit. Basic training, that ought to be over in a little while. Oh, there may be more training that comes on down the road, but the idea is to get to work. Get some place where you're making a contribution. Do something where, where you're valuable, that, that the, the investment that's already been made in you, and there's a pretty big investment made at Calvary, begins to pay back. The church, and I, I know we've been limited. I know we've been restricted. But, folks, the church has been deployed that we're no longer in these times that have changed out from under us. Look around you this morning. This is no longer the place where all of our evangelistic work is going to be done. They're not in here. They're out there. That's where we need to be. That's where our work is waiting. 
I've, I've looked back over my situation, my time, and, and I realize that as, as a preacher, as a preacher, I have a different assignment than the assignment that I have as a child of God. I haven't got a different one. I've got another one. As a preacher, that's the another one. My first one is as a child of God. And some of my most effective times for the kingdom have been when I was working on a secular job. On a, on a secular job, I was able to do some witnessing and some talking and some inviting and wound up baptizing nearly 50 young people. Not because I was a preacher, but because I was working on a job with some folks and wasn't letting my light be put under a bushel basket. Not as a preacher. I'm just one of the hands there. I'm just working. But we become comfortable. Oh, I'll go and I'll sit. It, it, it's almost to the place in some, some churches, some situations, where you hire church workers and go on Sunday morning to watch them work. No. The church is to work. The church is the witness. Yesterday's not coming back. I don't care how much of a positive mental attitude you've got. <laughs> Yesterday's not coming back. I'll never be 20 again. I may self-identify as 20, but my back tells me that I'm not. <laughs> there are some facts that overrule self-identification. I'd like to identify as a multimillionaire. Nope. <laughs> Yesterday's not coming back. We're facing a new day, a new challenge, a new day that calls for new tactics. We have new technologies. I am one of the last ones to think of, let's look on the internet. I still long for the yellow pages. <laughs> My most recent yellow pages is from 2015. And then they quit sending them. I'm, I'm 77 years old. I'm not on the leading edge of technology. I don't know where I am even way back in the slipstream. But we've got a generation that has to be reached in where they are. And they're not coming here to start with. Our message is the same. We're 
preaching the same thing Simon Peter preached on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. But I'll guarantee you I'm not dressed like he was that day. I didn't have the same thing for breakfast this morning that he had back then. I didn't get here like he got there. They walked. I like this better. We need new tactics. We've got new technologies. We, we have to make adjustments to the territory and the times for the times that are a-changing. Again, still some more and on and so forth. If you're here this morning, you don't have the Holy Ghost. May I tell you that no matter how much the times change, nothing has changed since Pentecost on the fact that you need to repent of your sins, be baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins, and that he will fill you with the Holy Ghost when you meet his conditions. The times, they are changing. But that's not changing at all. There are some things that are immutable. They are unchangeable. They are forever settled. <clears throat> but your latest update scheduled for sometime later tonight. And then the one after that will be sometime during the week. Because... It's not just times that are changing, it's technologies that are changing. And somebody says, people are tired of the screen. I, I imagine they're tired of the screen. <clears throat> but there are some that almost have a symbiotic relationship with the screen. They won't hear you if you talk, but if you can get to them through this, they'll, they'll pick up on it some way. I don't, I don't know what you're going to do with this. You may say, well, he, he's no fuddy-duddy anyhow. He doesn't, he's out of touch with the times. I may be more in touch with the times than you realize. Because I realize that what did work, what was, isn't coming back. What is, is not going to last very long. But that what our God is going to do is fantastic. Pardon me, but I don't want to exchange the baptism of the Holy Ghost available to everybody whosoever will for the man walking the dusty shores of Galilee because I can't get there. But with what came after what was and what is and what we have now is a whole lot better. 
It's not comfortable because we keep changing, not the doctrine, but the methods, the ways we're going, the things we're doing, how we're approaching it, because we're reaching, reaching a people in under circumstances that are not like they were. Alas, alas, things are not what they used to be. Oh, they're not what they used to be, but it's so much better to climb on a jet plane and fly somewhere than it is to get on a cruise liner or a steamship and, and spend months or days or weeks getting where you're trying to go to spread the gospel. It's so much better that we can have people in Australia watching our services. We have our, our editing meetings of, of going over things, trying to get ready for small groups. Do you realize we're already working on small group lessons for next January, February, and March? Those are in process right now, and we can get in that upper room. Yeah, we've still got an upper room. But in this upper room, we're not only praying, we do pray up there, but up there we also work and, and, and we'll put it up on the screen. And there's Vince in Ohio. There's Sister Carolyn Harrington out in Idaho. And there's Sister Meg home with the children because they're sick. And we sit there and we, we communicate with each other and we get the work done. But they couldn't do that back then with what was. And what is, because we're living in what was to come, and it's here. We used, I'll tell you how fast things can change. We used to run all over this area to teach small groups. I, I could teach one small group, now I can teach two at the same time. And I don't have to drive anywhere. And I don't have to keep it all in line. Uh, there was one time when I, I got it mixed up as to which small group I was supposed to be. I was running back and forth between trying to figure out where I was going. Now I sit at my dining room table. And I, that, that's much better than what it was and what is it it's the, is to come. And, and you say, well, I, I don't much like that because we don't get together. We're going to get back together. But this is going to make it where those folks that can't drive at night can still be part of it. Hallelujah. If we don't stop him, everybody's going to get in on this. Oh, Lord, let that be today that we don't stop you and everybody can get in on it. That we'll cooperate with whatever's available to us. Amen. That we won't let the naysayers who say, I'm tired of screens, keep us from reaching those who are not tired of screens. Sure, there are problems. <laughs> I challenge you to tell me a day when there wasn't a problem. Oh, yeah, all the family was together, but the bull weevils were still out munching on the cotton. The brothers and sisters showed up, but there wasn't a cloud in the sky promising any kind of rain. 
we remember the good things about yesterday. We are afraid of the, the challenges of tomorrow. But that's where hope lies. Brother Moss, I don't know. I don't know what's out there. Neither do I. Let me close up here if I can find the brakes with just something real quick. Faith is believing in and acting upon. There are two parts to it. It's not just believing. It's believing in and acting upon what God has revealed. Actually, three parts. But ours is just two of them. Folks talk about having faith. They're not having faith. I'm going to get to what they are having in a minute. But they're not having faith if God hadn't said anything about it. You can only have faith about what God said. If it's, I'm, I'm well, i got to use the word. I'm hoping. There's faith, hope charity and a lot of times we get faith and hope mixed up now we can hope positive or we can hope negative the the high priest was his hope was toward negative they're going to come they're going to tear us down they're going to kill us all we got to stop him A lot of times we look at things that are coming and we say, oh, that'll be bad. That I don't know how we're going to handle that. I just, I, it, it's terrible. It's a <clears throat> well, that's, that's a hope. It's a negative hope, but it's a hope. It's, it's a supposition. But I do know what God said. He said, go, teach, baptize, disciple, I'll be with you. And they went going, teaching, baptizing, and the Lord was with them with signs following. If I'll get out there, I'll find he's already there. If I'll do what he said, <laughs> then he'll do what he said. If I'll do what he said, he'll do what he said he would do. The times are changing. Alas, alas, things are not what they used to be. Thank God. Some folks talk about old-time Pentecost. They mean back in the 60s. I lived then. I was in the church then. We had all kinds of problems. But we got them settled out. Now I'm in the 2020s. I'm alive then. I'm in the church then. We got all kinds of problems. We got problems because of our blessings that we've never seen before. But we'll get them straightened out. 
We'll figure out what to do. We'll get comfortable. We'll settle in. Just in time, because the times are always changing. And it'll be time to move again. The eagle always stirs up its nest. Let's stand. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. I give all myself to you. Here I am. make an altar up here right where you are. That's fine. Let's just talk to the Lord a while. Let your spirit move through me. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. I give all myself to you. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Let your spirit move. yesterday and not just today, not just what was and what is, but oh Lord, what's coming, what's at the door, hallelujah, hallelujah, thank you Jesus.
Jesus. Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, my King. Don't pine for the good old days. That's not wise. They weren't that good and they're not coming back. But tomorrow's just ahead. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah.